some of this week's table conversation might be difficult for some listeners to hear. If that could be you, then please do check out the episode notes before listening. Hello, hello, come on, file in, grab a chair, there's plenty of seats for everyone, make yourselves comfortable, grab yourselves a drink, mine's a baby sham please. If you do have a little glass of cherry, it would be really appreciated too. If you haven't, no worries, I'll take it without. But welcome to Table Conversation, the podcast where we're tipping the world towards love, one conversation at a time with me, I am Craig Story. I really do hope that you're all good and you've had a great week. If you listened to last week's podcast, episode four, then you would have known that I was joined by my cousin Corey on that episode and he was talking about um, some his journey with cancer and he was talking about fundraising for private cancer treatment that isn't currently funded on the NHS. And the morning of that gig on the Sunday, the fundraising gig, he had reached the £30,000 target. So extra special night at that gig and um, fantastic atmosphere, live music, all being together in a room. I got excited, drank far too much and suffered on Monday morning as part of the consequence of that. I was even up jiving with my friend Faye. Um, I don't think there's any video evidence of that. Oh, I'm certainly hoping there's no video evidence because when I say jiving, I'm using the word really loosely there. But what a great night and such fabulous news that he can now start that treatment um, in less than a week's time. So wishing you all the very best with that, Corey. Now on to this week's table conversation. And this week I'm joined by my friend Gemma. This past week has been Baby Loss Awareness Week here in the UK. And it raises awareness of pregnancy and baby loss here, like I said, in the UK. And throughout the week, bereaved parents and their families and friends unite with others across the world to commemorate the lives of babies who died during pregnancy at or soon after birth or in infancy. The weekends with um, a wave of light of remembrance and hope, which brings a lot of people together. Now, it is difficult. It's a difficult subject to talk about, isn't it? And a lot of bereaved parents, families find it difficult to talk about because not many people do talk about miscarriage and they aren't always understood by others. So this is why Gemma is at the table with me today, because it's something that she's experienced three times over. And knowing that an estimated one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, a lot of people are experiencing this, but not everyone is talking about it. So let's break the silence and let's talk about it around the table and let's have a listen to Gemma's story. So thanks so much Gemma for joining me at the table to share your story and I know already that some parts of your story are going to be tough to share and talk about so I really do appreciate your bravery but it's important we do talk about what we're going to talk about today isn't it because miscarriages aren't always talked about and they're not always understood and people in the position you're in, the position you have been in, often feel stuck because there is no one talking. Yeah, but you do feel like that as well. And it's, it is weird because when you talk to other people that have had miscarriages, they all say exactly the same thing that you're saying and you're feeling. And you can see it in that person as well, like when they're talking and they're saying like, they're saying exactly the same thing of how you're feeling. But it's kind of like one of them things where it happens and you you kind of like not expected to I think it's just how you feel it's kind of like oh it's happened it's done and you move on straight away and it's there's no 
not that there's not support because there is a bit of support but I just think there's not much understanding in it of how it actually makes you feel and it's it's like a home it's like your hormones as well it just you're on this emotional roller coaster from day one of getting pregnant and you think everything's hunky-dory and even though you know it's only early stages you kind of get ahead with yourself and I always planned everything and you start over overthinking about nine months and what you're going to do and etc and you kind of go with it like that so then when you get that news and then the next day you're supposed to just like carry on and like oh it's happened but move on and it's just not there's just not the like it, there is the network out there of support but you have to really search for it and I think it's one of them things where when you say oh I've had a miscarriage or someone else will say oh I did as well and they, they'll go through it but I would have never known that before unless I'd have been open and said it to them so definitely and I think that is where we're starting here now isn't it we're starting yeah. with talking about it so let's let's go back to the very beginning the beginning mm. of where your story began and um, you'd met Simon. Yeah. Uh, and then when did you decide that you wanted to start a family? Well, to be honest with me and Si, and um, not, not many people know this, but soon as we got engaged, um, that was it. And we kind of said, what will be, will be. And we just went with it. And I was a, I was very naive at the time. Um, always assumed it would happen and that was it. And I kind of thought, as you do, um, you just think, oh, it'll happen, don't worry, etc., etc. So it was when we got engaged, we just said, oh, let's just go with it. And we did book the wedding and everything, but worst case scenario, you postpone the wedding and then you have a little baby at your wedding. So we was just a bit like quite laid back about it. And it was only when I got diagnosed with fibroids that I started to really start to like panic about it and think, what if this doesn't happen? And this was before we got married as well. So what are fibroids? Only... Sorry to, um, to no. interrupt. God, though, what um, are they? They're like, they're not cancerous at all, but the tumours that grow. So they grow inside your womb or they can be on the outside of the womb. And um, I ended up having like surgery, like an abdominal myomectomy because it was too big to be done through a keyhole to get rid of it. Um, but it can like, it can be, it, you can still have children with it and you can be pregnant with it. But then like my fibroid was 12 by 18 centimetres when they removed it. So if you've got a baby in there and you're growing a nine month old baby, it's there's no space for the baby to grow okay. so it comes with a lot of complications so in my in my opinion what happened with me was better to have mine removed because of how big it was um so it was only until that point that we actually started thinking oh what what are we going to do like what what would what's the next thing for us if this doesn't happen and um, we always assumed it would happen and um it was only then that I really started to like think, oh, you know, we take things for life and granted so much and you just always assume everything's going to happen and it doesn't always happen for you and, you know, like, it, it does. Um, but luckily, I had an amazing consultant and he is he's just the best and, you know, I was so lucky to be put under him and I'll always be forever grateful for him as well and it sounds ridiculous but he'll always be like one of my one of my favourite people in life, which sounds absolutely stupid, but it's just because I feel like if it wasn't for him, I don't, as my daughter today, I don't believe would be here because 
he was just so reassuring he booked me straight in for surgery there was no messing about it was pure open and honesty and he had a lot of empathy as well which don't mean it awful towards the doctors and consultants or anything like that but normally because to them it's very black and white and they deal with it every day it's hard sometimes to find people that have got empathy and listen to how you're feeling and you know he kind of understood that so I had the operation and then um, after that um, I was better after about 8 to 12 weeks was completely fine um, and it was the best thing I ever did and I always say to people if you've got fibroids don't be scared of going for surgery just go and get rid of them because it's one of those things like they're not going away they're not going to disappear so why would you you know this is you just need to get you just need to let them go and just if it's surgery or medication or whatever it is it's better to get rid of them so I had them done and then once I went back to see my consultant he said you need to wait at least six months so we waited six months then we had the wedding like a few months later and then um, then obviously after that I fell pregnant quite quickly which we were both really shocked about at the time because um, we didn't expect it to happen that quickly especially with scar tissue we don't know what's going on in there you know it's it's one of them things and then for the when the first miscarriage I had um because I've had three in total now the first one I've got to say out of all three that was definitely the worst one out of them all because I didn't have Esme and um we can't, I didn't, I was so naive, I just didn't expect it to happen, so we fell pregnant, um, we did keep it a little bit quiet, but I did tell some close family and some close friends, but really kept it, tried to keep it low-key as possible, and I remember going for the scan, and we had an early scan, because I had a slight bleed, but I wasn't worried about it, because it was like a week, it was the week before, um, and I just didn't stress about it I thought it's a tiny bleed everything's all right and then I remember because I went to my friend's wedding and then straight after the wedding I had my scan and I remember just sitting in the room with with my husband and we were both like chatting and we was like right we'll get our scan pictures we'll do this we'll do that blah 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 um completely naive a full room of like pregnant women and everybody having their scans done and then my Simon is really good at like, he's quite, I'm a bit sometimes, can be in a bit in a daydream and you know as you do as you're talking and everything else. And he's quite, he's very observant and he kept saying, I noticed people going into this private room crying, but obviously my back was turned and we were just chatting about pictures and stuff. And he's, in, in before he went in, he said, I remember thinking, whatever you do, we don't want to go in that room because that was like the room that you go in and I went in and I remember just laying on the bed and she started scanning me and she went quiet and it was like a tumbleweed and then she was like are you sure you've got your dates right and that's the classiest thing every three times it's happened the first thing they've said to me is are you sure you've got your dates right and I'm thinking I know I've got my dates right like you know I know my body and I know the dates and everything and then um, while I was in there, she scanned me and she was like, I'm just going to go and get somebody. So when somebody says, I'm going to go and get somebody, kind of know this is not good news. And she came back and she just said, I don't think, um, she says, we can't find a heartbeat. She says, we can see the sacs there. We can see um, a tiny embryo, but it's not the week she's saying it is. So we think you might have miscarriage, but we don't, but we, um, we can't rule it out that it's not and that you've got your dates wrong, which is which I get why they do it, I completely get why they watch and wait, because God forbid if somebody did get the dates wrong, 
um, or for whatever reason the cycle is completely different but for you you're waiting a minimum of seven days to ten days waiting and that horrible doom feeling so then we went into the dreaded private room and Simon knew straight away it was like a new sinners went into that room and they said you're gonna have to come back in ten days um, and we scanned you so I was like oh I said okay so we left and I knew at that point um, and I remember um, after that at that point I just knew straight away something wasn't right absolutely mm-hmm. something was wrong and then in between that week as well um, I remember going to see a consultant um, and paying privately to have another scan because I kind of needed that second somebody else to say to me this isn't there's something not right because I was always thinking what if what if it's wrong what would I do do you know what I mean I needed somebody else to go look they've not got it wrong which they hadn't in you know what I mean it wasn't so I went to see a second consultant at a private clinic he scanned me sat down with me said exactly the same as what they'd said and then obviously we went back on day 10 and they confirmed it and I just remember just feeling like utter just I just felt dreadful for like 10 days because I didn't like, there was no, I was just waiting. And it's a horrible feeling, but you're walking around with your dead baby inside you and half the people don't know and nobody knows. It doesn't matter if it's six weeks or, you know, I mean, God forbid, but it's still your little, your little baby and you're walking around with it and it's just that horrible feeling. And obviously I went back and... They went through a few options and it was just, I remember that one being the worst out of the three for definite. Yeah, and funnily enough, that was one of the big quotes, wasn't it, from um, the Duchess of Sussex when Megan spoke recently, didn't she, about yeah. her loss? And she said uh, she knew as she clutched her firstborn child that she was losing her second and that feeling mm-hmm. must be absolutely awful. And so 10 days is a long time of waiting, isn't it, and being in limbo and not really knowing what's happening in your world and your, yeah. your world is, is is breaking down what so what happens next once you go in and you have that you had that news given to you after the 10 days yeah um they give you free options and I, I was so naive at the time and I just wish I'd have known I know what I know now and I'm completely different and I'm not one of these, I like to, if something's happening, I want to know what's happening, I want to deal with it, I want to move on, not move on, but I want to refocus, whereas when I went in, she gave me three options, and she basically said, we can remove everything with a DNC where you go for surgery, and we put you under, and we take everything away, or we can give you so, some time, oh, sorry, Craig. So I was just going to say, a DNC, is, uh, I don't know what that is, What what's a DNC? It's where you go, they take you to um, for surgery and then they remove everything. I don't know the terminology for it, but um, they, they just remove everything out. So you wonder where you don't feel every, anything. It's over and done with very quickly. Okay, so it's like you're, you're, um, you have an anaesthetic for that to happen, so you yeah. don't know it's actually happening. Yeah, okay. I think they've changed the terminology for it now. I don't know what it's called now, but I've always, I've always referred to it as a DNC. Yeah, as long as we know what it is. Yeah. Think, yeah, as long as I know what it is. Yeah, I just yeah. what it meant. Yeah, so that's that was one of the options. Yeah, and then the second option was having um, these or these tablets where they insert into the womb and you lose everything naturally. And then the third one is watch and wait, whereas. I'm not a watch and wait sort of person and I'd already waited 10 days so 
I felt like I'd been at home for 10 days, not leaving the house and, you know, it was just, I couldn't, I'm not that sort of person, so I wanted to do to do something about it but obviously they, they kind of gave me the option but because I was a bit naive to it I kind of thought oh god well they, they said if you had the tablets everything would go away naturally and it would just be like a few pains I did opt for that but then I regretted op- opting for that because some people it works and it goes fantastic but, well not fantastic because it's awful isn't it but some people it works and everything goes away and everything's fine but for me that didn't happen and I wouldn't ever opt for that again um, but obviously if anyone was listening and they might have had it and it might have worked for them or anything yeah. else so it's not like it for every single person um, but obviously the tablets didn't work for me and in the end I ended up going under an emergency in the middle of the night and having everything removed because I'd lost too much blood. I was waiting about two weeks after the tablets so in total I'd waited like nearly three and a half weeks at that point and everything had not come away so I think that's why that one was the worst because it messed with my mind more. Yeah, and it's the first time you've gone through that kind of experience. And yeah. Nothing in life can prepare you for that. Nothing you've ever no. experienced or dealt with before could prepare you for that event. So after taking those tablets, did they give you any kind of estimation of how long things no, should take? I, I just kept ringing them. They said 48 hours to 72 hours, and I just kept ringing, and they said, oh, everything will go naturally, everything will go naturally. And then I remember being in pain. So I ended up going up to back up to the ward the night before and just seeing a doctor who was who was lovely on that ward. And I just said, I can't cope with this anymore. So she was like, no problem, we'll book you in for the DNC. She booked me in for the DNC, but then obviously the night before my DNC, so it's always the case, isn't it? Um, everything started coming away and I started over I started bleeding and I lost too much blood so my husband rang the ward and he was like you're gonna have to get her in now like there's something not right so and I'm not mardy like I've got you know I mean I've well I can be a little bit mardy to be honest but I've had a daughter I know what what labor pains feel like and I know the difference between period pains and I can honestly say that miscarriage it, that one in particular the pain was horrendous like I remember just saying give me gas and air and I was on gas and air and it just it was so bad the pain was but my body was obviously trying to get rid of everything and then sometimes they say that a little bit of tissue can can sometimes come away from the embryo and the sac and if that comes away and your body's trying to push everything out you'll just keep bleeding and bleeding because your body's saying oh something's not right here we need to get rid of everything it's not got rid of so I went back late that night and then in the early hours of the morning they just sent me straight to theatre and they did it in the middle of the night so and then obviously the next day I woke up and but in thankfully you woke up the next day because really when you're when you're losing that amount of blood and that's going on in your body things could have taken a real turn for the worse for you couldn't it mm, definitely yeah it was frightening but that was like my first experience but then over some time you know the second and third was nothing like that at all so each one's been completely different so I would never like want to you know I mean if somebody was going through it I wouldn't want them to think oh my god this is that will happen to me because it's not forced to and I will not want to to scare anyone or think that way just the um, tablets they obviously gave me which they actually insert into you they just didn't work for me at all and I just would never have them again and it's made me quite strong as well because on the third one um, 
like that hospital I went to for the third one where I live local they were so lovely with me and for the third one they said um there was like what do you want and I was like I want a DNC straight away and they booked me within within two days and it was over so I didn't have that three and a half weeks of like mental torture of thinking oh god like what is going on here am I gonna can I go out can I do this can I do that can't really go out because if you start bleeding or anything you kind of need to be at home or in a in like a safer environment so yeah so it's made me quite strong in that aspect because I've been through it I can kind of say I know what I want and I know what I don't want and um, especially like with the third time she was just like what do you want and I said I don't even want to go through my options I want a DNC please get me in straight away she did within two days and she was like that's completely fine I respect your decision yeah your experience taught you that that wasn't the right option for you to do that and it didn't work for your body, did it? And like you said, it could, it, it may well work for other women's bodies, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work for you. And if you, so you had that experience and you were in hospital for how, how long after the first? I was only in hospital one night and then I came home the next day, so. Yeah, and, and after that then, so the recovery for physical body, how long did it take for you physically to recover from that Well, I was experience? on um, iron tablets after that and I was on antibiotics because they were worried about infections and stuff. And I can honestly say, like, because obviously I'd had that abdominal myomectomy before that and I kind of, re- after I can say after eight weeks I was back at the gym because I was a bit of a gym gym freak then. Um, and I was back at the gym and I was obsessed I was going to be able to run a 5k by a certain day and even after that surgery because my consultant said the only exercise you can do is walking and I didn't do anything for three weeks I stayed at home because I thought I'm not doing anything stupid to my body but literally about the four week mark I was walking a mile a day at least try and get me out in going get out in the fresh air and me and Simon at night we'd go for like at eight o'clock at night we'd go for like a two or three mile walk and just be talking and walk a bit slow and just to get me going so I can say like that I felt like I breathed not that I breezed through it because I didn't because I was in bed for three weeks but it was so much easier than going through this because I felt like this emotionally and my body because I just felt dreadful like I felt awful for about at least three or four months after that in some ways probably I don't know it's 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 your story but in some ways mentally it's probably going to be it will be with you forever won't it yeah. it's going to be something that's going to be there so mentally how how did you cope well, at the t- it, like with both times, I think because I had asthma, um, I I had one and then I had asthma and then I've had two since after asthma. And I think the first time I didn't cope well at all because <clears throat> I couldn't see past it at that point. I thought, is this going to happen? Are we going to be able to have children? I don't think I can go through this again. And I just remember sitting at home and, it, it you know, for especially those three and a half weeks and I was watching Dawson's Creek back to back on Channel 4 box set. Not that. I'm a big Dawson Creek fan because I'm not and I don't know why I watched it and I can't even tell you what happened in it but it was just I was just in this zone really that I found it really difficult to and it's like once everything's over you kind of I think you feel like it as well you feel there's so much pressure on you to go back to normal and pretend you're all right when actually you're not okay and it's that horrible feeling of you pretending you're all right when when you're not and I think the first time took me a long time but it's something that stays with you and when I speak to other people that have had miscarriages it always say the same thing like you always remember your dates I mean it means Simon had little 
add little names for everyone because it was just how we how we coped with it and how we it's like do they have a name are they you know what I mean did they exist well they existed to me and there was you know what I mean and they existed to Simon and it's mm. just that horrible feeling and yeah I only carried on for the, up to the 12 week mark but to me it was little person you've got inside of you and it just you know it's, and it's really hard to say like how you feel and everything with it and it's sometimes it's really hard to open up so how did people react around you at that point what did how were what was your support network like and what was the wider world for you like with you at that point um, I think for us, we did have a good support network. Like, we did have a lot of family and friends that were amazing. I had them just turning up at my house as well, um, sending me really thoughtful things as well, just to make sure that they knew they were thinking about us both. And even Simon's friends, like, his male friends were so supportive with him as well because they'd seen some of their wives go through it and they, they, can, they could relate to him. And we was lucky, and um, it sounds a bit daft, but I feel like I'll always be in there forever in their debt. And um, the people know who they are, who they are, and, you know, they really, really pulled us through it. And I have got a lot of friends that have um, either been through it or been through something very similar, and they knew what to say. And because they had been through it, they could relate. And sometimes it's not even saying anything. It's just sitting down with that person and saying, I'm here for you. If you want to talk we can talk if you don't want to talk we don't have to even say a word and just knowing you've got that safe place to talk to someone and be really open about how you're feeling because it's like I've said before to you Craig it is a very ugly monster and when it um if you don't deal with it and you don't talk about it it's just going to keep raising its head and you know um, and you're allowed to feel sad and you are allowed to grieve and you know just go to family and friends who will support you. Um, like I've just said earlier, we was very lucky because we had a good network around us that supported us. Um, with the hospital-wise, um, I don't want to touch on anything like negative, but the first time round, I did feel we weren't supported with the hospital and there wasn't the support out there um, because we was left too long. And that's why I ended up, when I spoke about it earlier to you, Craig, about being rushed in in the middle of the night and having the DNC, and that's because we were left too long um but we've moved on from that and um you know after that we've had some fantastic experiences with the local hospitals that i've been to i can honestly say both times they've been brilliant with us the midwives and also the support workers um also as well on the third time when we was in hospital they sent in a bereavement midwife to talk to us and have like a chat about everything we didn't ask for the bereavement midwives at all because i just assumed um they'd only send a bereavement midwife in if you were like god forbid but it must be awful to go like full term and go down that stage because it's it's horrible having a miscarriage but to go further on it you know it's it's unimaginable and I just assumed they'd only have bereavement ones just to deal with if if it get if if say you go later on if that makes sense or if you have a stillbirth or anything like that. But they didn't. They sent them in. They spoke to us. They had loads of empathy for us. Um, they just looked after us and they just listened and they listened to Simon and to be fair, when we was in there, it was Simon that was doing like most of the talking, just saying how he felt and what he'd been through and what he felt the first time and what he felt the second time, which really shocked me because normally he's been quite trying to cover it up to try and help me and 
it hide his feelings as such to try and make me feel better bless him but he did end up opening up a hell of a lot and he spoke all about how he felt and everything so we was very lucky and obviously now I've been referred as well um, I've got two appointments coming up now um, actually in October I've just had a new an appointment come today as well um, about being referred so we're being looked after now sometimes I, I myself as well I feel like I've got to be the expert in everything and I feel like I've got to know that situation inside out and it's it's okay to ask questions as well isn't it I guess that I could ask you can where I'm asking you these questions now and it's sometimes by just listening and being there as a shoulder or not even to cry and just to someone to talk to must be really important when you're going through that kind of thing um Oh, and just by our conversation today, I've learned something from you in, in terms of language because it's never I've never even really thought about the babies having names and asking you, do you want me to refer to your baby's name? Or and that's something friends, family, it's something that to refer to that that baby as a person is really yeah. important as for some couples as well, isn't it? So that yeah. was something that I've taken from our conversation here today so that's that, that's it's all about learning isn't it and by talking is how we we get through these situations and we we learn how to love each other even more as a as people after your first loss um how long was it then before you you decided that actually I'm gonna we're gonna give this another go or did you consciously decide that you were gonna give it another go we to be honest we've always been um we've just gone straight away we'll see we'll see what happens, what will be, will be. And then I got pregnant again in the July of that year of 2018. And um, then obviously I had my daughter in April 2019. So you must have been elated at that point. But were you nervous throughout the whole pregnancy though? Yeah, because I went for an early scan like at eight weeks. um, And I remember just seeing the heartbeat and uh, it just looked like a little rice picking, like flickering with this tiny little baby scan and this little rice going do 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 and I read up once you get the heartbeat you you're like 95% there so soon as I got that heartbeat I remember looking at the screen and going like just started crying so I bet yeah yeah so imagine so Esme came into your life yeah she's a healthy little girl so you, after Esme's a healthy little girl and you later further down the line decide that you want to add to your family. Yeah. So you, you, you said you go with the flow, you see what will be, will be. And so how, how did you find out you're pregnant for the third time, which then sadly went on to be your second loss, didn't it? For the second time, it was, we was at home and it was in the January 2019, um, no 2020, because I'd literally only just gone back to work off maternity. And then my husband was like laughing, because he was going, you don't want work, you don't, you've only just got, you're an aerostess and you've not flown in like how many years and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I can't help it if I'm pregnant and in the office, it's not my fault. And he was like, oh, you're going back to work? And then, and then we was laughing about it as a joke. And then we found out we was, um, I was pregnant, did like a test, and I was only six weeks gone for that one. And then 
literally within like five days later I started like bleeding well it wasn't even five days it's about three days so I was like mm, something's not right so I rang the doctors up and then I got in for a scan and then as I went for my scan and like one of my one of my best friends came with me and um, because my assignment was at work and I had Esme as well so because I you know it because I had Esme and then obviously I was like I can't look after her because Esme would have only been like nine months old at that point and I was like I can't look after her baby and go for a scan so my, one of my best friends came with me went for the scan and they said you're gonna have to come back in a week because we can't say it's that we can see something but we don't think it's as many weeks as you as you're saying as soon as they said that I kind of pretty much knew straight away and then I was um sounds I was bleeding all that week constantly um and then all of a sudden the day before the scan I'd stopped bleeding so I just assumed oh it must be a good sign and you know I've stopped bleeding now when didn't pass it sounds awful didn't did not pass anything I would have never have known didn't feel anything didn't think anything of it so I went for the scan the next day and I remember saying to the midwife, um, oh, I've stopped bleeding now from yesterday. So obviously, do you think that's a good sign then? Because I haven't passed anything. So do you think it's a good sign? And she went, oh. And then I could kind of tell by her face, she went, well, let's just go and see what the scan reveals and then we'll come back in this room and we'll just have a little chat. So then obviously I went for the scan after that and they were like, everything's gone, you've passed everything. And and I wasn't, and it was weird because with that second one, I wasn't upset. I was just more shocked. I was like, what, are you joking? That everything's not that like you're joking. It's not something you joke about. Mm. But it's everything gone. And they were like, yeah, it's, it's gone. You've, your body has naturally done it. Um, so then obviously we went back um, to the room, spoke to them. They, I got to say at that hospital, they were, they were very good. And then we came home after that. Um, but with that one, because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had it in, you know, I mean, by the time it was like seven and a half weeks, seven weeks, five days maximum from that second scan, I didn't have all that time to, to, it wasn't like I was 12 weeks pregnant, I was going for my 12 week scan and, you know, so it was kind of like, it wasn't, it was different as well because Esme was so young, I felt a little, I felt sad and I was so upset about it, but it did feel, it felt different at the time because Esme was still a baby herself. And it must have been shock. It must have been more shock. Yeah, I think it was shock because we were shocked how I got pregnant so quickly, and yeah, it was more of the shock of we're pregnant. But then, literally, from finding out I was pregnant, I was bleeding pretty much within a few days, maximum five days after that. So I kind of knew at that point. As soon as you start bleeding from past experiences, I knew something is not right. So you return home after that experience and you've got Esme at home. And how hard is it to pick you up from that experience? So after... I I think, to be honest, because I've got... Because she was only nine months old um, and she was still getting up in the middle of the night and I was still doing all the feeds and, um, like, the night bottle feeds and things like that, I didn't... I kind of didn't have... Which sounds really awful because... I think about it now and it really upsets me but at the time I didn't have time to think about it because I kind of thought I've just got to get on with it I've not got time to be getting upset and I'd just gone back to work as well like I wasn't busy but I'd literally just done my OC course I've got a young baby at home we were trying to juggle juggle so much stuff you know it's sometimes you're juggling life and I just felt like I didn't really have much time to think about it it was only after the third one that it really got to me a little bit because I thought it's the third time now and so you'd already been 
through this twice now and then a third time you get pregnant and Esme's a little bit older by this point. So what's the story of the third time it happened to you? Where, when did you first know that things weren't quite right? I think the third time round was a massive shock because I was, um, we found out I was pregnant, found out straight away. I was being sick all the way through like I was with Esme. So I just assumed I was, everything was hunky-dory. It was all okay. Um, I even had like a tiny bump, like because I was being sick and I knew I got the massive headaches and I was craving the Diet Coke and I couldn't eat this and I couldn't eat that. And I, and the smells, when you're pregnant, you get these like smells of, you know, if something doesn't smell right, your senses are really hyping. So third time round, I didn't actually have an early scan, which in hindsight was really stupid, but I just didn't think I needed it. So at about the eight week mark, I was being sick and I was in touch with a midwife. So I was like, well, I feel horrendous and I'm just living on bis- plain biscuits and Diet Coke. And she was like, well, that's a, that's a good sign with your hormone levels. And I was like, yeah, I felt the same with Esme. So then I got to my 12 and a half week scan. And that was a massive shocker because we was in the waiting room and I remember there being like four couples in the waiting room and we was all going for a scan. And the first couple went in and then the second lady went in. And then the third couple was 20 weeks pregnant. And I remember looking around the waiting room thinking, one in, you know, what they say, one in four before 12 weeks miscarriages. And I remember looking around thinking, we was all chatting and the girl across from me, she got two girls, I got a little girl. The woman um, who was the opposite side, she'd got her little girl with her and, and everything. And the, the other woman was on a third child. And I remember just going in and then not thinking anything of it because I'd been sick loads. And then we sat down and it was that pause where the tumbleweed goes past and it's, oh, um, are you sure your dates are right? Which they ask you every single time. And then I was like, yeah, I know my body. I'm 12 and a half weeks pregnant. I've been sick. I've been this. I've been that. I, I was like this with my daughter. You know, I am pregnant. And then she went, I'm just going to go and get somebody so then I kind of thought, and then I started crying at that point. Luckily, Simon was with me because on that scan as well, Simon was at work and he was having trouble getting the day off. And then I had nobody to have Esme up until that point. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to have to take her with me. It'll be fine because I know the scan will be okay because I was that convinced that everything would be all right. And then literally the day before, I remember texting my mum and dad and going, oh, can you um, can you come up and just watch Esme? I don't know why I did that. I was like, can you just have her? And they was like, yeah, no problem, we'll come over. And then the night before, I said to Simon, you're just going to have to go and speak to work and say, I need a few hours off. Like, you know, I want you to come with me. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's what you want. So luckily he did bless him. He came with me and he was going to work straight after that as well. Um, and literally I was sat in that room and then when she said that I just burst into tears and I started crying and I was like I'm sorry I failed you you know I feel like I've let you down I've let Esme down I've let the family down like I'm sorry this has happened again and you just blame yourself even though I would never judge anyone or blame anyone and I remember just like really crying and just saying I'm sorry I've let you down and he was like you've not let me down you know it's one of those things and then the other lady came in and she was like we can't find a heartbeat um but your sac is enlarged so and your hormone level count was higher so we're assuming your body has continued to think it was pregnant for 12 weeks when it actually wasn't 
So then after that, um, I went back up to see another midwife and she was like, what do you want to do? And I said, I need a DNC straight away. I don't want none of this watch and wait, none of these miscarriage tablets that they put inside of you. I don't want none of that. And she was like, yeah, book you in. And they was fantastic at that hospital. They really took me under the wing and looked after me. But it was more of a feeling of like, I feel so guilty for Esme because for the whole way through, we told our family, we told friends at that point. I remember the week before my scan, I told more people than normal because I remember thinking, oh, it's fine, I'm pregnant, I'm being sick. And I was really naive to it. I didn't think my body would just think, oh, it's pregnant when the heartbeat stopped beating. And um, it was more of the guilt then with Esme thinking it would have been so nice, like to have like that baby would have been due in December this year and then thinking oh well Esme's nearly free how lovely is it for Esme having that age gap um and then you feel guilty and it's that whole feeling of like guilt and you feel ashamed and not that I've got nobody's got ever anything to feel ashamed about and especially because I told a lot of people at that point as well like because I just assumed it was all right and then you have to go back and say oh actually it's not what we wanted this has happened and and then you it's that whole thing and no one really at that point anyone that knows you or cares about you would think any less of you because of what you've just been through and it's when when you're feeling that shame about telling people that you've already told everyone is just as just heartbreaking for you their hearts are breaking for you and it's it's not the the point that anyone judges you. It's just they want to send you love and want to do more to support you. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's just how I felt, like, at the time, feeling like I failed and, you know, I can't believe what's my body doing. Like, why does, why does it think it's pregnant when it's, when it's not pregnant? And it's just that, like... It's just that feeling. But no, like, I would never judge anyone. And, you know, I know nobody would. It's just that horrible feeling having to go back to family and friends and say oh by the way this it's not gone the way we wanted as the time goes on and you just mentioned there that it would the baby would have been born this december mm. when that that date comes do you haven't do will you commemorate the date or will, obviously it's going to be in your mind but do you do anything will you do anything on that day or yeah, we've done stuff in the past where we've like lit a candle and things like that, and um, we've done we've had like balloons and things. So we will always remember. We'll always like remember it, and we always. It's weird because you, it's like those dates are like embedded into your brain, and you don't forget them. And I know some people like they've got to do what works for them, and some people don't think about them, which is the, which is probably like the best. You know, what I mean, or they don't embed it, but it's kind of always at the front of your mind because you always think what if and like I remember at the time saying to Simon oh this is perfect we're going to have a Christmas baby Esme's you know she's going to be nearly free I'll be off work for Christmas we'll have the baby here this is going to be great this is perfect and then obviously it didn't happen. I just want to talk about Simon because you, you just said that there and it, it's it's your body that the loss happens to in terms of physically but the loss of the the baby is you as a couple isn't it and does he does Simon ever talk about how he's coped and dealt with the situations 
He does, and like, um, and they sometimes he says, he, and sometimes he'll say stuff, and I think, God, I didn't even know he was feeling that way. And I remember when we was in the hospital, and one of the midwives came in, and um, he just started like, delve, delve, like, can't even think of the words, but he just started like, um, he was talking and talking and talking, and all this information, like, not information, but how he was feeling, like, came out, and what he he was feeling about it and what he went through and and I didn't know he was feeling that way because I think he tried to protect me a little bit and yeah make sure I was okay and then when he started talking about it it's kind of like it all came out and um and like I remember the last couple last couple of times when I went in and I said to him um, if nothing's if if everything's still there we need to have a DNC and you need to like support me and he's like yep yep you don't even I remember I sometimes you know you just sit in silence because you'd be in shock and I felt like he was he'd be my voice and he'd be just because I was sat there thinking I don't feel it's moment time I've got the strength to to keep talking and keep saying how I feel and why I don't want this and why I want that and I'd just be like Simon please you're just gonna have to deal with it and just tell him what I want and he'll just take over and do that because I just sometimes you just don't feel strong enough at the time and you Mm. need that you need that wing person really to step in and and that kind of like read you and understand you and take over but I think it has affected him a lot and he doesn't really it, it's weird because he doesn't talk about it and then all of a sudden he'll say something like to somebody else and he'll go into massive depths on how he's feeling and he felt this way and he felt that way and he was really upset and you know and I did I wouldn't I wouldn't know that at the time no and men often get left behind or forgotten and I just wanted yeah. to talk about something so I'm it just shows you, doesn't it, that the experience is joint and it's you, you've faced it as, as, as a unit. Yeah, and he does, and like when we've been through every single one, um, I can say at the end when we've like walked away from it, it has brought us closer together every single time and we've both, there's only, there's only like, because it's just, you know what I mean, there's only each other that know what each have seen and lived what each of us been through. And there's only us that, not that there's only us that get it, but we're the ones in the middle of it. So we kind of need each other each other to support each other. But sometimes, like, um, with men in general, they don't talk about it. And it's not that they don't care, it's just the fact that they, it, they find it hard. And then when they do, it's like they don't just say one or two sentences. It's like a five or ten minute long conversation about feelings and what they went through. And you think, oh my God, I didn't know you felt that way. Yeah, it's it's growing up, isn't it? Where men are told that they have to be the big, strong warriors that yeah. look after the family, protect. They can never um, show any signs of weakness or any, and it's not weakness. It's it's no, just God emotion no. and being human, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. not weakness. But I'm glad that Simon does talk about it because that's the only way forward, isn't it? And my last question to you will be. What would you say to someone who's listening to this podcast right now who's had a similar experience in the past and they they don't feel like they can talk about what they've been through? Sorry, what I would say is um, I would give advice to anyone of find close family and friends to talk to or find a network to talk to. Just be open and honest because I found as well when I was talking to other people that did have miscarriages, they're all saying the same thing as me and they're all 
equally as upset and you know I've spoke to people and they've been the same as me they've been like I can't get out of bed some days I'm really really suffering and you think you've got to remember as well that um, your hormone levels at that point one minute your body would have been going I'm pregnant the next minute it's going I'm not pregnant and you've just got to give yourself time and give yourself a bit of like space as well and don't be too hard on yourself and you and you're allowed to grieve and you're allowed to like say I'm struggling I'm struggling with it and I'm not okay and I think you've just got to like be open and honest and like find a support network for you to help you get through it because that is so important as well and obviously you come to a point where you you start to reach a limit and I think sometimes give yourself space don't if you don't want to try straight away or you think I'm not trying for another year I, I can't do it at this moment in time just don't um I would say as well what I would do is if I was going through it the first time I would research my options I would make sure before I went into hospital um before making any decisions about what I wanted, what what I needed to do, um, if it was happening to me, I would be researching my options to find out what I could do. Like these things we've done, like we did name, we've named everyone. Um, we know the dates and we've also planted flowers in the garden because we both love flowers and we both love pots. So we've got our own little flowers and pots and like um, I had one friend that ended up buying us like a star like you can get some like stars in the sky like miscarriage um stars and things like that where they call they they say like you've got a little certificate and things like that so it's just things to try and remember and buy because you go home and you obviously don't have anything nine times out of ten um so i just do little things where you've got like a little safe place in the garden or some people that might not want to do that that's not right for them so you've just got to do what you feels right but I think the best thing is to talk about it and tell people that you're struggling and not pretend that you're okay and I know I've been guilty of it in the past and I definitely have where like people love you and they want to fix fix the problem they want to make sure you're all right and that you're okay and I know I've said to people in the past you can get pregnant you know it is going to happen for you 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 know let's be positive and it's not and I've said it to people and like looking back I know now going through it oh god I really shouldn't have said that but people don't sometimes people say stuff but they don't mean to say it it's just the fact that they love you and they want to fix you and sometimes things can't be fixed and I think just talk to people that want to like just I think sometimes my advice to anyone would be just to listen to that person and just see how they feel and you know sometimes you don't have to say anything at all you just if someone's there to listen to you that's all that matters because I know I've said stuff in the past looking back of like my family and like my friends going through it and I've tried to support them but sometimes you just have to the best thing to do is to say absolutely nothing to them and just say I'm there for you if you need to talk and you know I'll always be here to listen for you and I think that's like the best thing you can do for people but that would be my advice there's also like uh, there's also organizations out there as well like miscarriage association they've got a hotline I remember the first time round it happened and I did actually ring the hotline because I was having a really bad day and I've been in bed all day and I couldn't get out of bed and I was just not in a good place the first time round and I remember ringing it and somebody answered and then bless it like not her fault she would have just been like a volunteer but she was just like I'm really sorry I'm just about I think she had her kids with her because I could hear them in the background she was like I'm really sorry I'm just got to nip in here and when I come out I'll speak to you and I was like yeah yeah no problem no problem because I could tell she were 
flustered and like busy kind of thing um and then obviously I text her she texted me straight away and was like I can speak to you now are you all right and I was like um I said I'm all right now I've calmed down a bit so I'll I'll ring you back in a few days and she was like and there is a network out there for you and there is hotlines you can ring and you can speak to people but I only rang them once that one time and then I think after that like I was after that I, I was fine because I just got I just got through it that way like it but that but for people out there that haven't got the support and not got family and friends that can help them through it or people that understand there is people out there that are going to help you and are going to support you as well there are you're right Gemma there are some fabulous organizations out there and I will put some links to um, them in the episode notes if anyone does want or needs that extra bit of support so what's the next step of the journey for you and Simon for um, so what's next for us both is after you've had three mas- miscarriages, um, you go to like get investigated to see what's actually happening. Um, because when you look at the statistics, it's actually like only 1% of couples that do have three miscarriages. Um, so it's not that common to have three. Um, and also what I forgot to say earlier as well is with Esme, I was put on um, Letrosol and that's a drug to help you ovulate. But it's also... Um, when I read up on it um, this time round, because I haven't, I didn't read up on it before. I just just thought it was fabulation. It actually helps with the um, egg growth. Um, it also helps with the lining of the womb, and it also helps um, in, in, like decrease your estrogen levels and things like that. So it's meant to also promote the egg growth. So we don't, we'll never know. As may might have only got to twelve weeks because we took that drug prior to prior to getting pregnant. So. Um, obviously now I'm under a consultant I've been referred um, I've actually got two appointments in October now I've got one at the end and I've got one on Tuesday for a scan and we're going to see what's going on and that's the next stage for us as well um, with these appointments I am very open-minded I'm not going to like um, I'm just one of these people I like to know the facts I don't want to be sold a dream so so to speak I just want to know what's going on and over 50% of couples don't find out that if there is anything wrong with them so we're just going to see what happens go to these appointments get an investigation done and see if we do have answers or not and we've both kind of said as well we're a little bit like um we we've said we could go through it one more time and then hope to god we get pregnant if we don't, then I think that will be our limit for us because um, it does consume you and it is very mentally draining on, on everyone that's involved, on you, on Simon and you know, on us both. And it does completely take over your life because you go, oh, I'm not booking that for six months time because we're going to be pregnant and this is what's going to happen, etc. And it completely consumes you, it can consume you as couples as well. So those days I've actually woke up and I've just said to Simon, I've reached my limit, I can't do this anymore because I feel like we've been on this emotional roller coaster a bit of a long time. Um, and then the next day I've woke up and we've both gone, no, let's just give it one last go, let's go and get investigated um let's see what's going off if we get any answers great like these drugs they can put you on like um they can put you on aspirin for if your blood's clotting and there's also like um like a type of steroid drug um i don't know the terms for them because to be honest i haven't done much research on this part i need to start googling information and get it all ready and things like that and um, for when i go for my appointments to see what my options are 
And with that last drug I said, with the steroid drug, you're on that for 12 weeks, but it helps with the growth because I think with me and Simon is, um, obviously we, we've had us, man, we're so lucky and we are absolutely so blessed and privileged. Um, but we, I think I've got a problem getting to 12 weeks. I think that's where my, that's where my problems are. So I just want to look at all my options and see what happens, but also as well, be realistic. I don't want to not be realistic with this. If it doesn't happen, um, I've got Esme and she is like literally, she's in the centre of my world. She's the love of our lives. We absolutely adore her. We are so, so blessed and so lucky. And like some poor souls, they've gone down this road and they haven't got a baby at the end of it. And I can't, I can't imagine, I can kind of, I can think how they're feeling and try and relate, but I can't for a second imagine how them poor souls are feeling. So for us, we've got Esme, we're extremely lucky. It still hurts, um, but I just think, God, I'm so blessed to have her. And literally, she she just lights up both of our lives. She's literally, we do everything with her. We've got, we do, she loves gymnastics. She loves going out. We love soft plays. We've always got activities going on. And she, we, she just gets us through every single day. So that's the next stage for us. And um, we'll see what's happening. But I'd say to anyone like, one of my advices would be if at some point you want to stop just say just say you're going to have a break from it and then go back to it when you feel like you're, you're okay and you can you can keep going because you do need um it's it's so sometimes you need quite a lot of strength to keep going and it's okay to say you know what I need to recharge for a few months and then we'll go back and talk about it later and that's what that's the only thing I can say really like to anyone about that just have time for you Gemma you have been you've described your whole story so eloquently and I don't I don't know how you've got through those times I really don't understand how how you've got through it but thank you so much for sharing your story and I know that for one person even if it is just one person that's listening to this right now you'll have inspired them to to talk today and that's the whole reason for baby loss awareness week isn't it which is just ending today and I'll put details of that in the episode notes for anyone that does need some additional support um that's there but thank you so much for sharing your story oh thank you Craig and thank you for having me thank you before you do step away from the table though I do have um some quick fire questions that I ask everyone that joins me at the table um and you happy to answer those yep of course so if you were sat at the table with me right now, what would you be drinking? Oh, um, white Zinfandel. <laughs> Did white I notice Zinf- that you're already drinking one of yeah, those this it, evening? Yeah, it's a Saturday night, so I know it's a bit, well, I thought, oh, just have one. Yeah, it's the yeah, weekend. Yeah, why not? It doesn't have to be the weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, ju- no judgment here. You drink when you want. Dead or alive, pick three people you would dream of having a conversation around the table with. God, this is really hard because I didn't think to um, I didn't, I've not really thought of anything, but definitely I can think of two straight away off the top of my head, um, celebrity wise. Go um, for it. But obviously, um, um, my grandparents, I would be like my grandma, my nana, and like my granddad. I'd love to speak to them again and have them for one more day, um, just to like chat to him about you know all the things you used to sit and drink tea and eat biscuits yeah. and relax and just talk about life and just having that time of just enjoying those simple things that there's always questions for like older relatives isn't that you wish you'd have asked when they were alive yeah, like you... definitely 
Yeah. And then two celebrity-wise, which I can think of straight away, Princess Diana, which is probably a lot of people's, but um, I love how the fact that um, she was obviously, she was still a, a child when she when she married Charles and she went into that and how she grew but how resilient she was and how she put her boys first and you could see like from her in the newspapers and stuff she adored her boys and when they've done documentaries on her and how what a loving mother she was and everything else and how she I think she grew into a very very strong woman and it was only resilience and time that taught her that and I'd love to have a conversation with her and just say, how did how did you cope? At what point did you go, this is enough, I'm not doing this no more? And, you know, yeah. and for it, it must have took guts for her to do what she did and walk away from that. So she would definitely be uh, my number one choice. Um, my second one would be Nelson Mandela. Um, just because I'd want to speak to him and say, like, how did you be so resilient and not be bitter for being in prison for, like, 27 years or something? I'd be like, how how did you come across that? How, What made you have the strength to get through that? And then at the end of it, not feel bitter or angry or feeling them emotions as well and going through that. So I'd like to have a conversation with Nelson Mandela. I'd love to have a microphone there and record all of that. Nelson Mandela and Diana, can you imagine I know, the stories? I know, that there? definitely. And just speak to them and see what they've been through and how they've overcome it and to, to be resilient and not be bitter. So Definitely. And um, Diana's story ended too soon, didn't it? It was just too yeah, soon at that age. Definitely. If you were at a dinner party, uh, what one song would you want to hear on the background music playlist? Oh, God. Um, I've got a few. This is this is hard because I've got a few songs. One of my favourite songs from all time, and it's not really, um, it's not really a, a song. It's Thomas Newman, The Next Place. Um, and it's a musical and it goes on for about... it's kind of not a musical but it's um it goes on for about 10 minutes and I love that song that is one of my favorite songs um the second one would be um Kelly Clarkson Catch My Breath so it'd be those two yeah and what's currently on your table um just my oh just my (laughs) wine and my laptop (laughs) What more do you need in life? I know, I know. <laughs> and finally, what do you find to be the worst table habit? Oh, God. I think, like, um, well, it'd be people eating with a mouthful, for definite. Um, and I know I'm guilty of it, and I really try not to now, but and when I'm at a table with people I try and put my phone away I will text and then I'll put it down and then I'll pick it back up and text and I'll put it down but it's I think mobile phones but I do it as well and I think sometimes you just think oh quickly respond I'll quickly respond but I'd love to go out for dinner with people and as all say right should we put our mobile phones in the middle of the table and then maybe pick them up I would absolutely love that. But then I think, oh, how do you approach that subject? <laughs> I don't I don't know if you dare, but you know, no. I've heard stories of people where they put all their phones in the middle of the table and the first person to pick the phone up has to buy a round of drinks or something like yeah. that. So yeah. maybe that's an easy way of making it into a game. But I know what Maybe you mean. We're all, we're all so attached to them, aren't we, all the time? 
I know, and I feel guilty if I don't reply in text, but at the end of the day, the world's not ended, I'm busy, like, I don't think anything of it if people don't reply straight away to me, and it's really bad habits when, it's just nice to go out for dinner and just not have your phone. Exactly, yeah, just be free from it. Thanks very much again, Gemma, and thank you for being here with me, and I'll see you soon, thank you very much. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much, Gemma, for joining me at the table. I know some parts of that conversation weren't easy to share. And I just want to wish you, Simon and Esme, all the very best for the next part of your journey, wherever that may take you. I do genuinely feel really lucky that and blessed that Gemma, along with others, have come along and shared their stories with me and trusted me to help them share their stories on Table Conversation Podcast. If you have a story that you would like to share too, then please do get in touch. You can get in touch with me across all of social media at I am Craig Story or email tableconversationpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love it if you're listening on Apple Podcasts to tap the five stars on the rating. If you've got time, also leave me a little review. It helps the podcast to get discovered by more people. Thank you again to Gemma for joining me and thank you so much to you for listening. I'll be back around the table next week. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.